Welcome to Jepper Bites, the JLF podcast. I'm your host, Laksh Tata. I want to remind our listeners in the US that JLF is coming to a city near you. We have JLF Houston happening September 13th and 14th this year. We have JLF New York on September 18th, then JLF Colorado, which is September 21st and 22nd, and then finally JLF Toronto in Canada from September 27th to 29th. This episode is my conversation with Michael Patrick McDonald, who is the New York Times bestselling author of All Souls, a family story from Southie, as well as Easter Rising, a memoir of roots and rebellion. Michael teaches writing and social justice at Northeastern University. He's also a 2019 Fulbright Scholar, teaching transformative storytelling at Queen's University. And he's implemented his community-based trauma-enforced writing curriculum with grassroots groups in Belfast. Michael will also be at ZJLF Colorado at the session We Shall Not Hate on September 21st, 2019. Here is my conversation with Michael. Well, this, I, I consider uh, like uh, uh, my writing life in two very two different segments. One is like uh, writing that I did academically in university and so forth. But the type of writing that I ended up doing, um, uh, storytelling, nonfiction um, uh, storytelling narrative, I did when I first started writing All Souls and – I do remember um, the first pages of that and 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 just really understanding that this is a whole um, other level of of writing. And so that would have been the not what became the first chapter of all souls, but um, the second chapter where I delved into I literally um, stayed on the page that I'm going into my oldest memories. Right. and I remember that I wrote, um, um, my oldest memory is of my mother crying. Mm. And so that was the beginning of the second chapter. And that's a scene where, um, I'm a child coming upon my mother, uh, who is still grieving the death of her baby, a baby that died before I was born. Mm. Um, his name was Patrick Michael and my name is Michael Patrick. I was born a year later. That was a baby that was denied access to the hospital uh, in a time when there was no Medicaid in the right. USA. So, um, hospitals didn't have to take welfare babies and the baby was turned away, um, from the hospital because the hospital had fulfilled its quota of right. what were called charity, charity cases. Mm-hmm. And so the baby died. <clears throat> I was born a year later. Uh, thankfully Medicaid existed when I was born. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but when I was born, my mother, uh, switched the name around, but to get into that story, um, I, I had, I, I didn't intentionally go to that story. I just was trying to think, what is my oldest memory? And then right. when I realized that that's my oldest memory, um, because I was still kind of toddler, um, going from crawling to walking, you know, just I, 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 I have a very clear memory of, of that and uh, wanting to comfort uh, her and not understanding. Right. Um, and, and she told me about uh, the baby at that point. So it turned out to be... Um, 
a passage that was really important in terms of foreshadowing the rest of the story. But, um, but the, what allowed me to go there, I do remember this clearly as well. What allowed me to go there, um, and to, after about six months of figuring out how to start this book, All Souls, um, I remember watching Goodfellas. So it wasn't a book, but a, a film <laughs> right. where the opening lines, basically the na- the narrated opening lines of that film, um, where he says, um, as far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. Uh, and I just loved the plain talk of that. Right. And I loved that part of the sentence is telling the reader or listener that this is what I'm doing. I'm going back to my furthest memory. So I felt freed up by that and just went there. And that was... Um, the first line I wrote for All Souls that that ended up being in the book, and and it was the beginning of me feeling like I'd found the voice of the book. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But before that, I only wrote academically, and the only and and as an artist, I I drew. So throughout most of my young life, I was when I wrote All Souls, I was about thirty when right. I first started writing, and so when when that happened, thirty th- or thirty one. Um, before that, I drew pictures all of my life. Yeah, and. Um, the only writing I did was for um, either academic or professional mm-hmm. uh, community organizing work and so forth, um, which was not storytelling. But the only thing that I did that, that artistically and which felt like storytelling was that I drew pictures. When I started writing All Souls, I've been writing ever since and I haven't drawn any pictures. So uh, in a it, way it's it, like, it switched over. It's like uh, when you... I mean, this is something that that I certainly felt. It's like when you're when you're a storyteller, even if you haven't started writing, you are you're drawn to an outlet to let out that you know that creative energy. And when you find the thing that you really enjoy, then you kind of end up sticking to that medium in a way, right? So true. Yeah. So, so true. And it felt the same. Like writing to me today feels the same. Um, it feels the way that drawing pictures used to feel to me in terms of storytelling, basically. Yeah. Was it when you, when that decision came about that you, you want to put together a memoir, was it, was it first that you wanted to write about that experience that those experiences or were, I mean, what I, I guess I'm, what I'm wondering about is what came first. Was it the desire to explore uh, your childhood and, and those experiences, or you thought that you needed to get all of that stuff out? Um, I felt like I had been collecting, um, so many stories all my life in my head that, um, were, that were of a line of thinking that I wanted to share with people. So, so, you know, I'd had pretty huge things happen in in a young life in terms of a lot of the disasters and atrocities and so forth and i had a particular understanding of um how those disasters atrocities and so forth were connected to each other but also how they were connected to social issues social justice issues and so forth and so i knew all i knew was that i i i i knew i needed to string those um stories together like vignettes which is what i ended up doing and um I knew I needed to get it out there in order to um, to kind of do- go deeper than I had been able to go as a community organizer. Because community organizing, too, um, involved a lot of storytelling right, and, right. and and connecting people 
um, where their stories connect with each other, but then also using those stories to impact change. So it's interesting. I only, re- you know, I only realized that in later years that that's what that that's what we were doing, even as community organizers. And I just wanted to go deeper than you're allowed to go because with community organizing, you can, you know, you're you're doing media work, and the media is in control of the story that you're telling. Mm-hmm. So I needed to do something where I felt totally in control of that story that needed to be told, if that makes sense. Yeah. The um, when the book came out, the first one, All Souls. What was the reaction in the community that you were i mean you were you were involved you were you were helping uh raise issue uh put issues in 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 front of people so what was the reaction you had from from the people there and and from your family when the book came out um initially there was a lot of fear um i i, I was afraid because i didn't really when i was writing it i didn't really think about what it means to then publish it. I knew it was going to be published. Um, mm-hmm. I was writing it with, with a contract with a, a publisher with Beacon Press, small independent publisher at the time. And um, I knew it would be published, but I thought maybe like, you know, 10 people would read it, a few right. friends of mine. <laughs> and, and when it came out, it, you know, it was like headline news, the evening news. It was, um, you know, in the newspapers, there was a, um, a five-part serial in the Boston Globe. And so it was just something that you couldn't get in Boston or right. in New England at the time. And that was a whole uh, another le- level of experience that I hadn't anticipated. And so I was afraid um, at that point. I wasn't afraid when I was writing it because I didn't, didn't really think much mm-hmm. of it that anybody, you know, I thought my friends would read it, like I said. But um, with, with neighbors and family, they, of course, wanted to know um, – what's in it because they, there was some fear, but what happened was initially, um, some people were, would be upset about the kind of telling tales out of school that you're supposed to abide by community, um, you know, codes and so forth that I was telling the bigger world, um, some of our secrets that I was, um, you know, airing dirty laundry and so forth. But with individuals who are actually in the book, they were, um, they were surprisingly um, pretty good with it. They, they, there was a there was a little bit of a difference between I found the response from people who have been through some kind of recovery and healing process, right? Um, whether it's AA, NA, or the route I took in terms of you know finding ways to take painful stuff and turn it into something useful in the world. There's a difference between people who had engaged in some kind of healing process in their lives and people who hadn't. Um, mm-hmm. So, but eventually, um, eventually, the positive responses outweighed any of the initial negative ones. The initial negative ones were would often be from people who hadn't actually read it. Right. And then, right. Um, even to this day, I'll get letters from from people who were from the community, never read it because they refused to read it because they were angry at me. And uh, they read it finally and yeah. they realized and they, they, they've they written to me. I, I, every once in a while I get a, another letter from someone from, from the community I grew up in that says, you know, I didn't want to read it. I hated you and I read it and it really helped me get through so much of my own loss. Right. And, and thank you. So it's, um, it, it, it was, it was scary. It was scary yeah. for all of us, you know, that was, was um, scary. one thing that when I was uh, going through, um, your bio was, 
I had my first, so I, I grew up in India and my, I, I remember I was thinking about when was the first time I heard of uh, South Boston that was, that was goodwill hunting. And mm-hmm. then the second time was the departed. And I, I think right. I read um, somewhere like a review of your book that people were like, Oh, that's your book kind of tells the story that the departed fictionalizes. That was mm-hmm. kind that was kind of, ha- that was what was happening uh, right. during that time. So, I mean, I guess in, so in the eighties you were, you were in your teens and early twenties, I believe, right? Yes. Um, so in the eighties, let me think. Uh, yeah. So my teens and early twenties throughout the eighties and, um, it's throughout the nineties that I was a community organizer first right. in black and Latino neighborhoods and then brought it back to South Boston. But it wasn't until 99, um, that all souls was published. So when you're when you were putting together like let's say you know you put together that first draft and you've you've gotten all the all the all your perspective out there what was the process like to actually now turn it into a narrative or were you already you know self-editing that uh, as you were writing it Yeah I was self-editing throughout the whole um throughout the process I I kind of I I I feel like it uh I wrote it in the, um, pretty much in the, in the, uh, pattern that it was published in. Mm -hmm. Uh, the only, I ended up when I, like I said, the second, what, what became the second chapter, that was my first lines. And, but then I would write kind of chronologically from there. The book needed to be done, um, in a kind of chronological way. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, but about three chapters in, um, about three chapters in, I was able to write the first chapter. I I knew what the first chapter was, and I knew where the book was going, hmm. and that and that ultimately the shape of the book would be an ellipse. Um, and the so the book begins and ends at the All Souls Day vigil in South Boston, which right. was a kind of community organizing effort that um, I and a few other people who lost family members in the neighborhood. Um, did on all souls day, November 2nd on the Catholic calendar. Mm -hmm. Um, but the, the first and last chapter, um, the book begins and ends at that vigil to remember all those who died, um, too young in the neighborhood Mm -hmm. from all the things that we weren't allowed to talk about. Right. And I, so I knew that it would go in that circle, but, um, the first, the first chapter then became, um, one of those vigil. Well, the first time we did the vigil where I actually, when it was my turn to go up to the altar, um, I went into a kind of what what would be a, a state of stunned speechlessness. Just mm-hmm. I was so overwhelmed by how many people in the neighborhood had showed up to remember all those that they had that they had lost again to all these things we weren't allowed to talk about in a neighborhood controlled by gangsters and a code of silence. Mm-hmm. And there was also um, a neighborhood with a lot of denial. Um, I was overwhelmed by how many people had come out to simply say the names of their loved ones, and so. In that overwhelming state, I kind of was just speechless and and kind of had a memory lapse um, when it was my turn to say my brother's names, and that was and that was something that really happened. But you know, this is the amazing. Uh, this is what I love about writing um, nonfiction is that um, it's all right there. Like when you're when when you when you get to the page, I feel like um, it's just so. Um, 
so much re- reveals itself to you. Right. Uh, so, and, and we're talking about things that happened in real life, like mm-hmm. the meaning of, you know, and, 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 and you, you can connect the dots. So like, I think you, you said something about exploring yeah, my yeah. history and all that. And I, like that didn't really, the, the notion of exploration didn't really come until about two or three chapters in right. when I, when you start to see the patterns in your life and you start to see how this thing that happened makes so much sense um, with where the story eventually goes, you're piecing together nonfiction things. And that's such an amazing, um, well, it's, it's, it's really such a privilege to, to be given that opportunity to explore, um, on the page and to have been, to have had the time to even do that. Mm-hmm. So many people don't get to do that to kind of piece together these things that really happened and make sense of them and see patterns and, and see meaning mm-hmm. in things that, um, might just be considered, um, you know, bad luck or, or something, um, like that, you know? So that's the amazing thing for me with, with nonfiction. It's, it's, is being able to use that, that structure that with nonfiction storytelling narrative, you're using a structure that, you know, people often use for, for fiction and, but you're having to find those things that fit within that structure. And in the process of finding those things that really happened, you start, you have to see the patterns because mm-hmm. in order for it to be a book, it has to have, the patterns have to reveal themselves. I guess, you know, one thing that I always um, am curious about when it comes to nonfiction and writing about not just your personal experiences, but about the experiences and events that a community together, uh, you know, has, do you find yourself thinking about, I mean, let's say there's, I mean, if we had to break it down, there'd be two audiences for like even an essay or a talk that you're giving. It's the people who, who have lived that story and the yep. people who need to know that story or, or aren't aware of that story. Mm-hmm. So how do you, when you're writing or, or coming up with, you know, the, the talking points of a speech, how do you balance um, the two audiences that you have to engage? Yeah, that is, that is exactly, um, that's my life. I feel like what you just described there, <laughs> right. I'm constantly doing whether on the page or, um, or giving a talk. And, um, I found that if you, um, just go there, uh, to a place that's true to you, um, then that works for both of those groups. Um, Mm -hmm. the, you know, when I, when I wrote all souls, I, I wanted it to be totally accessible to people who come from where I come from. And that means being accessible to people who didn't necessarily graduate from high school too. Mm-hmm. I mean, not everyone, a lot of people graduated and went to college and so forth, but, 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 you know, a, a lot of people I grew up with have, um, didn't graduate from high school and I wanted to be accessible to everyone. Um, and so that means not, well, number one, not imposing my adult activist, um, voice right. or even academic voice into, you know, into the story. Um, and staying with the, you know, the experiences of an eight-year-old, of a 10-year-old, of a 12-year-old, and so forth. <clears throat> I mean, that, that technique allows you on the page to do that. And for the other people who are more, you know, educated and, and who, have, who, have, um, who are looking at this from a literary perspective, mm-hmm. they can appreciate uh, the use of that, of that technique as well. Um, so, for, so on the page, it works that way. But just in person, if you, I, I feel like... I found that just going there to a place that's true to me, um, 
is is of course going to be understandable to people who grew up the way I did, but the people who didn't, the people mm-hmm. who are coming at it from an academic perspective and so forth, mm-hmm. um, I find uh, they'll they'll come there with with me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So and 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 whether it's you know and sometimes they cater a talk to an audience. You know, there are certain words and perspectives I might use um, for one audience that I I might not use in a community based setting or whatever. But, um, but for the most part, I find that, um, there's a universality when we just go there to a place that's true, Mm -hmm. um, for us individually. Um, people are, yeah. Thank you for listening to Jepper Bites. This podcast is produced by Launchora, a storytelling and creative learning platform in association with Teamwork Arts, the producers of the Jepper Literature Festival. If you haven't already, do subscribe to our show wherever you're listening to this podcast. Mm-hmm.